Uh, welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals uh, for another episode covering Madoka Magica. This time it's episode seven and eight. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Blixa, and I'm back. Hey, and it's Ben. We got a brand new guest. Really excited to have them on. Please welcome Professor Viral. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Prof. Yeah, no problem. It's I normally don't. This is like only my second time ever recording with other people, so it's still very like new to me. So awesome. We're happy to have you along. <laughs> yeah, of course. Very appreciate it. So um, we got you on to cover Madoka because you have covered it on your YouTube channel. Um, so I was just wondering what kind of experience do you already have with the show? Did you watch it once and enjoy it? Have you watched it a million times? What's up with that? It's it's a series that was actually, I guess, really special to me. It was I got into anime relatively late. Um, so it was one of the first ones I watched when I was in college. Oh, wow. Um, it was just like, oh, this is a, you know, a popular one. It, it's I've heard it has, you know, a, a twist to it that's satisfying. So I'll check it out. And I watched it. And this is something I'll probably get into later. I don't want to give it away because it really happens in these two episodes. But there's a specific character I really related to just through her situation and like some of what she was experiencing. It's uh, Sayaka. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so like it's but at first I related to the like situation to what she was going through, not quite how she felt about it or the emotions that it kind of brought up in her. So that was years ago. And I rewatched the series maybe two years back rather than say like mm -hmm. six or seven when I first watched it. And instead of relating to her situation, I related more to what came of it, where there's there's, mm -hmm. I think, a lot of questions that come up in her character where she's questioning herself that now I related to those aspects of it. So it's actually kind of a series that I grew up with in a way, uh, not in the typical sense of like watching it as a kid and it becomes something special to you, but mm -hmm. actually being able to evolve with the characters of the show to mm -hmm. go from kind of the teenage problems they experience up through the adult lens, like, you know, mm. from the adults who are writing it and the concepts they're introducing in there. So it's a series I, I very much love for that reason. Yeah, I have to ask, though, like, so you said this was one of your first entries into anime. Correct. I mean, that's quite a introduction <laughs> to anime. It's dropping what, right off the cliff. Yeah. yeah what was your what was your impression? I'm trying to think if I watched Psychopaths before it or after it. Oh my god! Because that's yeah, it's it's another <laughs> Ur Urobushi anime, so it, it would have definitely prepped me for it. But I think I'd seen also like Tokyo Ghoul before mm -hmm. it, so I'd seen a few darker series, so I wasn't outright okay. surprised. But it, it definitely is, you know, as everyone knows now, and as we'll continue to see, it's it's quite shocking. Yeah. Is, is Urobushi is that one of the creators or is that like a term? Uh, he's the writer, I yeah. believe. I don't know if he was like. I think he's mostly the writer on the shows, but yeah, he did uh, Psychopaths, Fate Zero, uh, Modica, Phantom Requiem for the Phantom, even though that one kind of sucks. My God. But yeah, a lot of my favorite series were written by him, and it's kind of like Psychopaths is what gave me a appreciation for ethics and kind of like a philosophical awakening. Yeah. Um, so a lot of his stories are almost like holy to me in a way because they they really changed my life to not even exaggerate it. So while we've got you here, I want to get your opinion on this. On Psychopaths okay. comes up a lot. Right. <laughs> it comes up a lot with our guests. And okay. I love it. I love Psychopaths, but like it's pretty rough. And like I've hesitated to suggest it to Alex and Ben because without saying it, you probably know some of the rougher scenes. Yes. I mean like emotionally rough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying like it could be a hard ask for certain yes. guests. Okay. Gotcha. It's quite brutal, both emotionally and in how it's drawing those emotions out of you. Have you covered it on your YouTube channel? 
I think I've made 13 videos. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit biased because I, I generally, even though it's basically just derivative of, um, I think it was one of Dick's stories, which is also then like it's the same as I think Minority Report is the movie. It also kind mm. of takes the concept from, or that that also took the concept from Dick. Yeah. But even though it's like derivative in that way that you kind of see with a lot of cyberpunk series. I still like unabashedly think it is the greatest story ever written. Mm. <laughs> it is a really great story. <laughs> All right. I do feel a little more confident next time we have a like group meeting about what we're going yeah, to definitely add that to the short list. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, so these episodes, Alex, have you, you haven't seen seven and eight yet. You're going into these ones. Yeah, I'm fresh on these. I did get, I tried not to look, but I'd get some spoiler images maybe from Blix's <laughs> outline, but it's okay. <gasps> oh, I don't know what, I don't know. Sorry. I don't have any context. So since I didn't read, the outline okay but, uh, there's some good color composition to the shots so i'm, I'm interested to see how yes, those there are. Uh, play into the uh, uh the episodes okay we'll have an interesting discussion about aesthetics later yeah uh well i was going to ask you if there are any other anime that really uh helped form your opinion of it but it sounds like you've given us uh psychopaths yeah. and a few others that's cool but i'm also excited to hear you say that sayaka is one of your favorite characters from this because so far we've had a pretty good spread of mm -hmm. people who are like no madoka's my favorite <laughs> i kind of like Hamara. We had somebody who was mommy too. So I'm really excited that, you know, I think that's a good sign of an ensemble cast is that like, oh, yeah. everybody has different favorite characters. And I think it's, it, there's especially too, like, even though, you know, mommy is already gone at this point. I mean, she's mm -hmm. literally only around for one quarter of the series. I think in these episodes, you will still very much see the ripples of her character. Uh, like um, her story does not end yet. It's still very much alive in, in the characters who are remaining after her. Uh, and that's something I will probably talk at length about. Oh, cool. Excellent. Sounds good. Okay, cool. Well, does anybody have any news or anything that they want to bring up before I do this last time on and then we go into watching and discussing? We should do it. Sounds good. Okay, cool. Last time on War of the Magical Girls, Sayaka made her wish, donned her outfit, and collected her first grief seed. Not bad for a first day on the job, but her respite and praise would be short-lived. Yes, she had fixed Kiyosuke's hand, but when it came time for him to show thanks by playing his violin, Sayaka faded into the role of just another audience member. Regardless, Sayaka settled into vigilante witch hunting smoothly, even maintaining her friendship with Badoka despite the new class divide between them. While on patrol together, they came upon a familiar, which should have been easy prey for Sayaka, if not for here comes a new challenger, as Kyoko Sakura blocked Sayaka's hunt. Kyoko, the resident Maho Shoujo of another city, wanted Mami's former territory for herself, and she wasn't going to let Little Miss Wishes for Others stand in her way. A fight ensued, and Sayaka discovered she had manifested a formidable healing factor, but a surprise, surprise, I'm not surprised appearance from Homura kept that fight from coming to mortal conclusions. Homura met Kyoko later at the arcade, where Kyoko agreed to leave Sayaka alone in return for witch hunting rights to the city. But Kyoko just couldn't help herself. Before this next fight could start, however, Madoka took her mother's advice and temporarily killed Sayaka by throwing her soul gem off a bridge. Homura retrieved the gem, saving Sayaka, but nothing could now save them from the horrible truth that soul gems are people. They're made from people! Will Kyoko rise above the competitive dynamic? Will the girls form Mitakihara's first magical girl labor union? Was this show a huge inspiration for Steven Universe? Let's find out. Excellent. Took her mother's advice and temporarily killed her friend. Yeah. <laughs> That's what her mom told her to do. <laughs> It's like when your friend won't listen, 
kill them. Oh my gosh. Are, you, are you seeing more and more Steven Universe as we're watching, Alex? Uh, I'm, of, I'm, of course, uh, I just finished this watch through, but um, the relationship between the soul gem and the body is like mm. just it's it's very big and also steven universe takes a lot of inspiration from magical girl yeah. shows like sailor moon and um hard captor say again oh you mean uh revolutionary girl utena yes utena thank utena. you that's the other one but this came out like a few years prior to steven universe so i'm sure it was at mm. least on the radar of the people who created it mm. cool all right so let's queue up and ben will give us a countdown and we'll we'll have some fun sure all right <laughs> three two one play it, it blew me away this week when I was watching this that we're at episode seven and the main character isn't a magical girl yet. That's yeah. so amazing. Yeah, that's what I saw in the the first episode. Um, I forget the guest's name, but they were mentioning like there were very few, like almost no other series where they mm -hmm. the character wasn't like a magical girl in the first episode. Mm. Yeah. And that's something uh, Steven Universe has in common with this is... Steven starts like wanting to be part of the team, but it takes him like the whole first season to be confident enough to actually like get into combat. And his experience is a lot like the magical girls in this where he has a gem, but he has a physical form too. So like he doesn't get to reform himself if he gets shot in the head. Oh yeah. I actually haven't seen it myself. Steven universe. Oh, big, big fan. It's a good American Maho Shoujo. <laughs> American. <laughs> yeah, it's on my short list. I've, like I said, I think I've gone through half of it. Can't tell. What's the matter, like, Ben? Like, What's on like, your mind? I can't tell. Like, you know, like Hitomi almost feels like she's like this yeah? agent trying to draw something out of Sayaka at this point. Does her affect seem weird to you? Like not two friends talking to each other. Yeah, which is funny. I guess the first time I watched it, I was just like, ah, I don't know. It's just sort of like awkwardly written. And then now I'm like, maybe I'm underestimating this show. She was much more emotive last time. This is the first time she ever seemed robotic. Mm -hmm. All right, Alex, first impressions. This is your first time seeing it. Uh... <laughs> that says it all. Great transformative episode. This show seems to be about giving something and taking something at the same time. Like, and that's good for the theming of it, right? Because being a magical girl is laid out as this zero sum game, right? Like you can't work together and make things better. No, no, no. You're competing over grief seeds. You're anyways, there, there's this zero sum game. And so it gave us what's her name's backstory uh kyoko, kyoko. Mm -hmm. um which was very humanizing it was generous we we're like oh wow now I, I i'm looking at her and her consumption very differently which is like that's a really common thing like or most if not all of us had uh boomer parents and boomer parents they grew up with parents who lived through the great depression yeah so a lot of them have a hard time throwing things away. They have a strange relationship with food and resources because they're always afraid that they're never going to have enough, right? So that was just fascinating to recontextualize. But then, of course, it's got to take something away. And so we have to lose part of Sayaka. Like, she's changing. And my gosh, that last sequence 
one, we've been building up for it. Like that's where all of the animation budget for this episode went. All of the slice of life scenes, except for the exceptionally simply, but exceptionally animated backstory of Kyoko's. Everything was very still and plain and not a lot of animation to it because we had that last sequence. And even that last sequence was really simplified, right? Mm. They did it as a 2D set where normally the action is in a 3D like, um, and it was black and white, which like great theming there because Sayaka's worldview is changing. She's very much, things can be better. I can exist in between these two worlds. It's not a bad thing if I take on this burden. And now she's going to start thinking more black and white. And in fact, was that supposed to, she had that last line, like, it's really true. You don't have to feel pain. You can just shut it off. Was that supposed to be her doing it? She was like, oh, I figured it out. That's how I do it. And so like that entire fight, she's just like shut off all her pain receptors. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that's, you know, common trauma response, right? It's like, ooh, somebody hurt me. Well, I'll just never let them do it again. And like, it's not healthy, but it makes sense. It's logical, right? It's black and white thinking. And it shows a lot of like putting something on yourself too, that I think really Mm. fits with Sayaka where she's not saying, oh, I'll, the world needs to be better. She's saying, I'll just be better, Mm -hmm. which uh, in a very unhealthy way, which is something that, that is definitely going to, we'll keep seeing moving forward. We had a discussion last episode about how, you know, Kyoko is kind of putting on this, you know, she keeps saying that she's only in it for her herself. And, you know, but even though she had all these opportunities to maybe kill Sayaka or end the fight, she didn't. She kept on kind of retreating from the battle, even though she was winning. Um, And I guess maybe this time we see that, you know, she probably is or was this very moral person, very... I don't know. She like believed in something and, you know, was trying to make the world a better place. Um, And then, you know, that backfired. And so she's kind of built up this shell now of just being like, okay, I'm only out for myself. But as Sayaka points out early in the episode, she's like, wait, you're helping me though. Like, like you're Mm -hmm. like, you're not even abiding by, um, what what you're saying. And, and I think we're mm-hmm. starting to get that kind of the opposite way with Sayaka now where, you know, she's saying that she's doing all this stuff. Uh, she doesn't want to be selfish about anything. She only wants to help other people. But then uh, when she's confronted with Hitomi going for Kyosuke, you know, then she starts to kind of like unravel from that, right? Yeah. And it's, I think there's, because, you know, a lot of, what's going on in her character that that goes back to that, like putting it all on herself is that, you know, she's constantly questioning from, I think it's episode two when they're on the roof and Monica that she's saying like, Hey, there's other people who would jump at the chance to have a wish. Like we're people who really like the fact that we can't think of what to wish for, you know, says that, you know, maybe we might not Mm -hmm. need a wish, but yeah. So she's constantly questioning, like if she is actually a good person and, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I lost like the train of thought. What was the comment that I started from? Sort of talk about how like Sayaka wants to be like selfless, but then oh yeah, that's okay. kind of falling apart. Um, yeah, and then like so, whenever she's confronted with that fact, it's like she's constantly been able to put it to the back of her mind that she did it actually, like that her wish was for her sake and not Kyosuke's in order to make him love her, like the thing that mommy warned about. 
And that's something that she is basically putting off indefinitely by never confronting him. She can essentially go the rest of time, not ever confirming that that might be why she made the wish, that she might actually have done something selfish. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then so like Hitomi doing that forces her to confront this aspect of herself that she hates more than anything. Um, And that definitely like I think that shows how she makes such a stark, immediate difference. I mean, it is such a like middle school thing, though, of like, (laughs) you know, like clearly she likes this guy, but just like she's like, oh, no, I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like just like can't talk to him or like, yeah, like even be honest with herself, even though she just did for. Yeah. 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 Right. But I guess she had the pretext to do it before and she's lost her pretext or I don't know. Well, she was dead for a little while and then <laughs> lost all her bodily autonomy and is disillusioned with the whole magical girl charm. And that was all last night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that was genuinely traumatizing for her. Right. And, and you know, we see her, you know, she skips school. She's mm-hmm. just like lying in bed alone. But it, I don't know. It also just I, I guess I don't completely get it. Too. Okay. And it, like, I wonder, is she using that as an excuse for just not being honest with her emotions? Or is it like the trauma of that is making it, you know, hard for her just to like do anything? Well, let me share why I like this episode and maybe that will shed some light on this. So I felt like this episode was about a crisis of belief and ideology. Um, we have this religion theme throughout the episode. Mm. And, um, a lot of people become disillusioned with their faith in adolescence because like you start to see parts that are disappointing or upsetting so we have Kyoko's backstory mm-hmm. and um she has this like altruistic thing and it all comes crashing down and she loses all of it she loses like all the hope and joy and she just is very like nihilistic now so i don't think that the issue was about like her losing f- faith in a religion or whatever her father was promoting. I think it was like her belief in like family and connection and caring for other people. Uh, and that's gone. And then Sayaka equally is losing a lot. This is why I think this is the darkest episode and captures what is really, really dark about this series. I mean, yes, there's the violence and the character development and the concepts that. Sh- you know, are dark and deconstructive for magical girl shows. But this episode starts out with a little girl who's like destroyed and she's alone. And I won't say it out loud, but this is a picture of like a young girl who's just had the worst experience of her life. That's often how it plays out. There's no one you tell or can tell. And it's devastating. And tied to this trauma isn't just like loss. It's she's lost her bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm which she may not even had a concept of that before. And like, that's when a lot of people discover that there was something valuable after it's gone. Like that's really fucking dark. It's dark because it's real. Yeah. And it shows the, uh, there's a strong mirror, a strong connection between Kyoko and Sayaka, right? Like this happened to Kyoko, it's happening to Sayaka. Mm -hmm. And we see that Kyoko had a good opportunity to help Sayaka deal with her loss better. Mm -hmm. But because of her own defense mechanisms, she didn't come to Sayaka in good faith at first. Mm -hmm. You know, it took fighting her and deciding that she wasn't going to be scared off 
that that was the time to go talk to her. And even then, she had her defenses up. She had her her consumable talismans there to help her out. She tries to use those as a an olive branch and it backfires because it's too little too late. Mm. She she was in a position to empathize, but she's always one step behind the narrative. Yeah. And so Sayaka keeps even at the end of the fight or the end of the episode, Sayaka if if Kyoko immediately had been she was watching the barrier. She yeah. knew Sayaka went mm. in there, right? Yeah. So she could have gone to the barrier when Sayaka got there and go, you know what? We're fighting this together. You can have the grief seed, you know, you need it, but we're fighting this together. But again, she's one step behind the narrative. If it's not until she sees Sayaka struggle in the fight that she comes down yeah. and she doesn't even empathize there. She's like, she still has her tough. Her defense mechanism, her tough exterior, she can't be honest with Sayaka. She says, oh, let me show you the basics. And of course, it doesn't work because it's the same tactic she's been using this whole time. Mm, Just a little bit more darkness and then we can get to like lighter, more fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So again, back to that opening scene, like Kyubei is uh, monologuing. bastard. (laughs) Kyubei's horrible. So he doesn't recognize or understand like their humanity. And that's why he can be so dismissive about their suffering uh, and what what it is that he's really taking from them. And I think that's worse than someone who is just takes joy out of being cruel to another human. Like this is someone who doesn't even recognize you as human. It's definitely more dangerous. Yes. And if they like like clearly he knows what humans are too. Like they've studied yeah. them. So I feel like this plays into like the analysis of patriarchy and misogyny in that you know, that happens through the mechanism of objectifying women and like objectification is when your humanity isn't recognized. That's why I thought it was particularly dark. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, I think we were talking before about sort of like, what is this being a magical girl sort of like a allegory for, you know, is it like drugs or whatever? And I think we'd brought up like sex work at one point and it definitely Mm -hmm. like feels more that way this episode with like Kyubei as sort of this like pimp figure and then now yeah Sayaka kind of like feeling I don't know like tarnished or she's like lost this thing that now you know she feels like unworthy of um Kyosuke's love or or something like that as someone she holds to such a high standard too Mm. yeah I, I guess for me for some reason I don't know just like the idea of like oh my body's fake my soul is in this soul gem like doesn't feel like quite the right metaphor or something like like i don't know if i'm just i'm too robotic or something (laughs) i like feel like i feel that way already about like my brain and my body i don't feel like particularly attached to my body where like i don't know almost as if when she lost the soul gem if we had seen her like body like wither and like turn into something gross or something like that then i feel like i would like get a little more the trauma maybe i don't know i I think you're on the right track i mean like very very common in people who have been violated bodily is a disassociation from their Mm -hmm. body Mm. disembodiment so i i don't really see the the sex work angle like to me this just feels like trauma stuff a lot of times if someone is like violated in a very intimate way they feel bad or broken or dirty or unworthy and that's why it damages all intimate relationships. And I, I think it's it's one of like the, because I kind of feel the same way of like, 
that being the most traumatic thing for her doesn't quite connect with me either because I've kind of had that similar thing of like I already am just a soul in a vessel. Like if it was separated from me, I yeah. I wouldn't seem to mind that much. Ooh. Um, but it's also is like this is one of the things that's kind of out of left field for the series. Mm-hmm. Like it just it jumps into this concept of like the soul and the human body and their interconnection kind of out of nowhere. And I, th- I think it is one of like the few weak points. Well, I, I think that this show has an opposite opinion to the two of you that the soul it, yeah. is, at least under normal circumstances, inextricable from the body. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say you could isolate what a soul is and transfer it into a computer or another body. Well, I would think that this show is saying that's actually not true. That wouldn't, and that like wouldn't be you or it wouldn't be able to be done or. Yeah, it would be different. Like Mm -hmm. you are inextricable from your body to an extent because like your memories, we like to think of them as only being uh, stored in our brains, but like muscle memory is a kind of memory. So like there's memory and especially like in terms of trauma, like you have memory all over your body. Your body like takes different stresses and stores them in different muscles and stuff. And even if we are, say, like a, <laughs> we begin as a this soul that is all, you know, that is not a person yet, that, that only becomes a person through limitation or something. Once it's put in the body, I think there's an interesting discussion of there. Could it be separated again? Because the body that we are born in influences what we experience. And so who we become to a large degree, let's say maybe it. It is at some point placed in us, but cannot be removed from us because it would not constitute our whole. I like where this conversation is going. And I feel like um, the imagery in this episode ties into this very well. You know, we're talking about embodiment and consciousness, like Kyoko's backstory was shadow puppets, which can generally symbolize like NPC type beings, like mm. not real humans, like soulless, because they're being controlled. They're puppets essentially that's probably a good note of like her detachment as well that defense mechanism that the way she expresses it is like she's putting on a production almost like she's not saying it right and then like i don't really get what this is about but like uh kyoko i don't know why i'm struggling with her name you know is just like obsessed with these apples and i thought oh maybe adam and eve imagery but like the congregation in the backstory, they all had apples for eyes. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Right, because it's her wish that makes them come. It's not yeah. his preaching, yeah. right? And it's an interesting thing because you have someone who's preaching about, they didn't say that it was Christianity. It was but just like a stained glass church, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But there's someone preaching about a magic baby person who's who saves the world, right? When his own when he, daughter oh, is yeah. a magic yeah. baby person yeah. who saves the world, but they can't connect those two worlds. When she tries, right? She's like, she confessed to him, right? She was well, like- We don't know that. We just know he, he found, found out that. somehow. Yes. Yeah. Okay, he, he found out somehow. Which gets back to my- idea of like i think this whole episode there's a mastermind moving pieces puppets around for a performance Mm. we'll get to that in a second (laughs) the other thing that i the imagery which i don't really maybe the significance of it is i'm missing it but like the final the climactic fight also looked like a shadow puppet Mm. so like before we're seeing the puppets and then at the end we're seeing like the shadow that the puppets are projecting kind of yeah there's so much in this i don't get so like the other thing is um while kyoko is telling the story she physically has 
some of these things. And she has them in her flashbacks as well. And then those images show up again in the climactic fight. What do you mean she has some of these things? Like the sticks, paper cutouts on sticks. Mm -hmm. It shows her as a child playing with them. Mm. It's like replicates her family even. Mm -hmm. And then like that image just keeps coming up. Like even in like, I think, believe the witch's name is Giselle, like the flashback witch that she fights, that imagery was there as well. And it's like, Mm. why is there this like shadow puppet (laughs) imagery throughout this whole thing? And I do feel like there's a metaphysical thing there too. Can't remember the philosopher that was describing yeah. the human experience as like shadow puppets. Oh yeah, oh I uh, can't remember. Either. I think Plato's cave, I think, is like mm. you know, like all your consciousness could yes. be shadows on a cave's wall or something. Mm-hmm. But whatever it is, it's it's a narrative, and especially young people can take comfort and feel security in those narratives, and then like having that fall away, or like seeing how. It's just paper. The disillusionment can also be traumatizing. I I do like the sort of the, you know, the way her her wish falls apart, you know, like she was trying to do this good thing, Mm -hmm. but she did, I don't know, like get rid of all these other people's agency, right? Mm -hmm. And her dad was achieving the success he thought was due to his preaching and then found out that it wasn't. And like, you know, yeah. I think it's also like there's a lot in there that's like that she, you know, basically misunderstood his wish. Mm. And there's a lot in there that I don't know if it's kind of about like, um, are they actually wish like is their wish simply kind of the desire to be complete in a way? As in like Kyoko's wish is really just like, what's the quickest, easiest path to make my family happy again, to kind of make my life feel complete. Uh, Sayaka's is very similar. And like, what's the quickest path? Well, not quite because she does at least she doesn't wish directly for him, but they kind of like are wishing around that. It's like they're taking that premise of like, how do I get what I want? And then shifting it a little bit to like almost justify making that wish. Prof, I'm glad you brought up like the mechanics of this stuff, because there's a question I want to ask, but I think that you already know the answer. So I can't ask you. So I have to ask Ben and Alex. So tell me what your understanding is so far of like how this thing plays out. Like why do magical girls have to kill witches and like what are they doing with these grief seeds and like their own little thingies? Well, I'll let you go first, Alex, since I have a little more information than you since I've seen eight. Oh, that's true. You see the next one. Okay, so I think, well, okay, what I know is that whenever a magical girl uses their powers, it stains their soul gem Mm -hmm. and a soul gem can remove its stain by exporting it onto alienating it onto a grief seed. Okay. Grief seeds, they seem to be functionally identical to soul gems. So I take a soul gem to be a, now this is speculation at this point. I don't know for sure, but I take a, a grief seed to be a soul gem that something has happened to. Either it's gone past an inflection point where it's more darkness than it is light or something like that. And so magical girls have to prey on, I think, the magical girls that came before them and have become witches. Okay. Uh, ben, any other? Yeah, yeah, I think similar. But yeah, maybe that just it has to get like if it once it gets fully stained or something. But maybe the way Alex said it, yeah, there's some point of no return, I guess. And then it becomes a grief seed. Okay. And we know that Cubay eats them when they are yes. ripe. Uh-huh. When the grief seed is, you know, fully black, when okay. it's ready to blossom, that's when Cubay eats them. 
So a lot of our understanding of this comes from Cubay. Yes, except for the speculative stuff. Okay. But do you believe him? <laughs> we already know that he commits the lie of omission. Mm-hmm. Do you believe he commits the lie of commission? What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Um, the lie of omission is passive. Uh, so, so like, does he say things that are just flat out wrong? Yes. Do you think he does that? I don't know. He's kind of like a genie character, and they they usually have very particular rule sets. Uh, let me, for them. I'll ask you specifically then, and like, this is just speculative. Okay. So, like, you said. It's by virtue of the magical girls using their power. And like, that's where mm. the black shit comes from that has to be sent mm-hmm. to the, do you think that's really it? Is it because magical girls are using their power? Oh, it could be because they're fighting witches, like killing a witch or something. That could be the thing that's generating the stain. Well, may- maybe this will be the lead in to episode eight, because I think we do need to get to it soon. But We do. Okay. I did from- push us past the time. <laughs> the, I apologize. But- I was just going to say, it does feel like maybe there's something too of sort of like idealism versus like bitterness or something that that sort of or I think we'll see in eight Sayaka her seed getting more stained. But at the same time, you know, she's kind of like increasingly in kind of like a dark mental place. Mm. Okay. Well, I think Prof might agree that if we speculate too much now, it's going to stain our experience of the next episode. <laughs> I, I do think there is a lot to be said about that. Uh, the last like two minutes of the episode where she's fighting the witch. I think Elsa Maria is the witch's name. Uh-huh. That black and white imagery that it all is. It is also like that's a complete um, contradiction from what we see earlier in the series where these, the witches have these bright, vibrant worlds. Yeah. Mm. And I think, you know, the characters always stand out very much from that. Like they yeah. always maintain their art style whenever they're in those witches' worlds that are completely yeah. different. But here in this one, it simplifies it so that Sayaka and the witch are presented the same, uh, as well as basically removing any distractions and isolating us just on being able to, you know, witness it as simply as possible uh, mm. and drawing that basically lack of distinction between the two. Yeah. Um, my only other thoughts, I think I have to save for the next episode. It's a little bit weird because the end of this episode goes at, yeah. 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 And like the imagery that I wanted to highlight half of its significance Ooh. is in the beginning of the second the next episode okay i wonder if uh, i have something else kind of similar okay i'd have to say for that. i wonder if it'll be the same thing it might be it's pretty striking i i did a um one video that was just me for like i think I, like this scene's only like five minutes total i think i yeah. talked about it for 25 oh, minutes yeah. so. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack yeah yeah all right has everyone got uh episode eight pulled up i will in one moment um, that last scene, the fight, which it looks like we might be about to revisit right now. There's like two prominent imageries. There's the tree imagery that we've gotten before, which was directly a defensive mechanism that the witch used. We also had this kind of Hydra imagery, these like dragon heads. And every time she cut one down, there were more, mm-hmm. which was very cool. But anyways, that's my last. Yeah. Good Kennison. All right. Three, two, one, play. I feel like this is see a thing I see in more and more things is this like sort of overkill. Mm. Someone's just like punching someone in the face too long or something. Yeah. It's such a complete distinction. Like every other witch too dies in like one grand magical attack. Mm-hmm. And this one is just brutality completely. Oof. Like, have we seen anyone look at this much in distress after combat? 
Like yeah, mommy absolutely. just like prances away. Yeah. And it just specifically showed her musical note powers fixing her body, but the wound to her soul is not so easily fixed, mm-hmm. right? I also love that the the music note imagery is like Saika like knows and understands classical music, but she says directly, like, I wouldn't like this without you, Kiyosuke. And so it's like the visual representation of Sayaka is something basically taken from Kiyosuke. Rough. That's horrible. Yeah. Well, there it is spelled out. Yep. I'm I'm very proud of us. We've I, we've kind of predicted, you know, there's a pipeline here. We're asked to give the prediction said that I was just saying they're like, I have to just act like, oh yes, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's good. I, I think I think they did a good job letting us be the detectives. If you're paying attention and you're speculating with a little bit of logic on your side, you can come to that conclusion and be very satisfied, right? Mm. But if you're not watching it with a critical eye, it's also a nice, you know, uh, uh, twist moment when you finally get that confirmation. Mm. Yeah. So I guess I can say the thing that connects the two episodes that I had to hold off on. Mm-hmm. So um, the climactic fight from last episode and then the opening of this episode it's like the shadow combat and then there's like the red contrasting elements so at the end of seven I'm, i don't know if i'm gonna pronounce it right it's a catholic relic like something used like during communion the monstrance so it's symbolic of um ever presence like being in the presence of something that's fully present or like fully revealed. And we sort of have that theme unfolding of the real nature of like Cube and the whole magical is getting revealed. And then like loss of faith, like that crisis, that disillusionment is another form of revelation. But in this context, it's pretty dark. So since Kyoko's father was the priest, you know, it seems like the hand holding that Monstance might symbolize her father or like patriarchal figures. And then the witch itself is in this position of kneeling in prayer uh, at mm-hmm. the beginning of episode eight, as the witch is executed, there's this red like scarf thing. So in some religious practices, uh, it's like this head wrapping called a talus. And the idea is like for women specifically. Um, and it's like, blocking things out so that you can focus on the divine and like have your prayers actually heard by God. Mm. Maybe it's not so specifically like that, but that's the general idea. Uh, And this thing drifts away and is gone. (laughs) Oh, it's also like such ironic too, because they're they're fighting on a statue of Libertas, like, you know, the inspiration Mm. for like the statue of Liberty and other statues where, you know, literally it's, you know, dedicated to Liberty. Mm. And it's, basically at the moment where she's losing the most freedom that she has. Yeah, it's rough stuff. It's also the only uh, labyrinth that doesn't fade away. Um, all the other ones, like slowly they fade out and the characters are like staying there. That's the only one that physically crumbles mm. around them from how brutal yeah. Sayaka actually kills this witch. Okay, I like Sayaka a lot now. I see I see <laughs> what you see in her. Well, and and her journey, like she's inextricable from the plot. You can't, obviously, this is a pretty good story, so you can't take anyone out of the plot and leave it the same, right? But like her journey is the explanation. Like she's the one that we see to make the contract in the show and we see her 
degenerate because of that decision, in part because she can't be honest with herself and also in part because she's being manipulated, right? Mm -hmm. And she decides like, hmm, gosh, what strength of character? She doesn't really know what she's doing or she doesn't know the the implications or the uh, uh, the outcome of it. But she says, this is a zero-sum game. We are all fighting against each other. I'm not going to play that game. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happens if I don't get a grief seed, but I'm going to find out, which like, oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, it is. I mean, so clearly, you know, we, we start off with Madoka. The show is called Madoka. We have a lot of scenes with her alone, but in terms of like the actual action of what's happened, Sayaka is the one who like became the magical girl, like saved Hitomi and like, you know, like and is taking this like principled moral stance, which is sort of like what kind of like the traditional hero would do in the story. Right. Yeah. I think at some point the staff joked that the show should be called Sayaka Magica, not Madoka Magica. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that that's interesting. I want to I want to probe that a bit. So in mystical practices of religion, there's this question about what makes something divine. Is it power or is it love? Right? So Sayaka has power. But like just to backtrack a little bit, and this will tie our two episodes together, religious narratives contain the miraculous. And magical girls do miracles, like Sayaka healed the boy, right? Yeah. Uh, and all of that lore-wise relies on faith, and that's gone. But Sayaka's at this point now where she needs a miracle, but she doesn't have, I guess, what would potentially make her divine in a mystical sense. She has power, violent power, but it's mm-hmm. not making her happy or fulfilled. Like she's becoming more and more of a shell. So to quote another deconstructionist work, who watches the Watchmen, this is more like who saves the savior, right? Like we need someone to sacrifice for the greater good, but like under a system where we require a sacrifice, well, it's not fair. It's not fair to that person. And like, I think maybe what Madoka is going to represent ultimately is an imagination of something better where we get to save each other. Like, obviously we're in a very dark spot here. I don't know how this is going to turn out. It doesn't look like it's going to go well for Sayaka, (laughs) but maybe that will be the, the high point of the series that we will have this transformative moment where Madoka uses her, I don't know, power, love, whatever to transcend the, the, the system and to save her friend. Um, I actually hate the, um, savior being sacrificed narrative but like Mm. unfortunately like we see it throughout like the evolution of like human rights and history like whether it's labor labor laws or child laws or equality for women like someone has to pay a price and has to forfeit a civilian life to dedicate it to this work that maybe no one is going to even remember so that Mm -hmm. other generations can benefit it just sucks i appreciate it but i wish it wasn't like that yeah Mm -hmm. And I think along those kind of same lines is where we really see like the end of mommy's influence here or not the end of it, but like the the real power of it, because she essentially sets an unrealistic standard that Sayaka cannot live up to. Yeah, um, because mommy herself was putting out this perfect image in her own loneliness to say, mm. look, it's not like it. Yeah, I can suck at times, but it's not so bad. You should do it, too, so that I can have people around me. <laughs> um, like it's, and, it comes out really dark, right? Yeah. yeah. There's the the critical scene between mommy and Monica where she 
admits her weakness and says the line, all I can do is cry on my own. And Sayaka never sees that scene. Hmm. And that's something that I think they call out in like episode five or six is Sayaka's like, Homura just sat there and watched her die. And Monica says, that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. And because Sayaka never gets that, she, mommy dies as this perfect legacy, as this standard of like the ideal magical girl that no one actually lives up to, that there is no such thing as the ideal magical girl. It's just an act put on by mommy. Uh, and we see that like cascade through Sayaka's character where she keeps telling herself, but I can do it because someone else did it in the past. Mm-hmm. And she essentially decides like, I'll be that savior. I'll be the person who will do it perfectly and provide that path. Yeah. And what we see is that it just leads to sacrifice, uh, basically essentially suffering for the sake of suffering. Yeah. So like, again, I don't know if I'm really onto anything here. It's just speculative, like, but the sacrifice and suffering, it's a cost. And like in the last episode, two different characters, Homura and Kyoko both said in different scenes, like Kyoko said, miracles aren't free. And uh, Homura said, miracles usually cost more than a life. And my speculation, I actually don't even actually remember how this show ends, even though I watched it. Um, Like, I just feel like Madoka is being set up to be like the sacrificial lamb and there's going to be a miracle performed and it's, it's going to cost. I think they do it in a really interesting way. Like, I think they, they go about it in a way that that stresses a much more healthier narrative than sacrifice alone well i hope so um, yeah because <laughs> like so far the whole series feels a lot of like exploitation of girls and women and that for girls to be free of patriarchy and misogyny to just have agency and autonomy and, and humanity like to have to do so much They're, they have to like sacrifice you know? there's going to be some fucking sacrifice that's unfair and like yeah. It seems like we have characters that know the cost and characters that don't. And maybe that's going to be a part of like the theme of informed consent (laughs) about a price you pay. Yeah, I guess guess kind of separate from the like the decision to become a magical girl or not. I mean, like it feels like this episode is sort of like about self-care or just how unrealistic it is to just be completely self-sacrificing. Right. And I like that idea of you know, we had mommy as this like unrealistic ideal that she's trying to live up to because she didn't see the truth of like mommy's situation. You know, she's trying very desperately to do this thing despite other people kind of telling her to like, you know, sort of like compromise her ideals a little bit and like be realistic about it and like, you know, like to live longer and provide a better benefit. Yeah, and, and and sort of like like she has that logic, right? Where she's like, well, if I can't even kill witches, then like, what's the point, right? Like, I'm gonna die by a witch killing me. Whereas, like that logic doesn't actually make sense, right? Like, right. potentially, if she heals herself first, then she can she kill more, can be witches. more effective. Yeah. yeah. But, so there's a, there's a lot of problems here. Like so. Sayaka sees her only worth and purpose. Well, only I was just about to, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. as killing She's witches. Lost her self worth completely. Something that she didn't care about before. This is something that's mm. being externally dictated to her, which is exploitative. And like, I will push back a little bit, Ben. Like, I, I don't think it's the. There's a message about sacrifice in moderation. I think it's sacrifice for purpose, and that's what we're seeing with Sayaka is losing her sense of purpose. And like, you know, like parents sacrifice quite a bit, but it's for a purpose. And like Mm -hmm. young people, like say magical girls who make a reality altering wish, but they do it uninformed. (laughs) 
like they're doing a sacrifice without like they can't grant you consent like they're not informed about everything I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. that is a theme, but I think too, like if you're trying to be, yeah, like a parent or any kind of caregiver, like if you put so much of yourself into it, that kind of like, as she says at the end, end of the episode, you know, now I feel like bitter and angry mm-hmm. and whatever, mm-hmm. like then you're not actually doing the thing that you set out to do, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. but, like, like there are these like just human limits and you have to like acknowledge them. Yeah. Well, I, w- I would still, I would still push back on that as well though. Like, I don't think that um, the fatigue comes from just amount of like giving of self. I think it comes from, if it comes from out of purpose or a sense of significance or obligation. And I think that's where a lot of burnout of any type of sacrifice, whether it's parental or otherwise comes from, it comes from this is a sense of obligation or a false pretense rather than because uh, giving out of purpose and significance doesn't really drain you. It, it fills you. And that, it's like that, that's the picture that we're not seeing with Sayaka. She's not fulfilled. She's being drained. And like the purpose that she has isn't hers. It's, it's a false thing that's being put on her out of obligation. Well, if there's a way to, well, I mean, yeah, I guess if you kill witches, per, I mean, I guess you can replenish yourself by killing which is so mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that lines up. Well, I, I think I agree with both of you in some ways. Like, yes, uh, uh, if you sacrifice for something and you consciously you're getting something back from it, that's replenishing. It's not as draining as doing it and feeling like it's a thankless job. Right. But there still is, like Ben said, there still is that physical limit. There still is diminishing returns. Like you can continue getting all the rewards in the world, yeah. but at some point it's not going to match the sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true, but like, I don't think it has very good narrative application here. Cause like these magical girls, they still go home and go to sleep and eat and whatever. Like it's, I think it's that it's devoid of like love and passion. It's the real problem. Not like physical fatigue or mental fatigue. Well, but she just needed another egg. Take <laughs> yeah, which support. is a resource, right? Yeah. yeah. A, a consumable resource that has a uh, an esoteric origin, yeah. but has a finite usage in this. Okay. Way. Well, if that has significance and meaning to you, like I can't argue with that. That's good. Yeah. The symbolism here is great. Yeah. But it's again, like these episodes have so much that's open to interpretation. Uh, and I really appreciate that. And I think I'm just going to like tack on to one more thing with Sayaka's character and that kind of giving of oneself. Uh, I think that's kind of why I really relate to her is like at the core of her character is this question, am I a good person? And if she slowly lost the like reasons to believe she is, like she said, oh, I wish, you know, for Kiyosuke to heal because I'm a good person. We see her question that, like, did I actually do it? And she begins to see that's false and begins to question that. And so she throws herself into the idea of justice instead and says, okay, well, if that's not the proof I'm a good person, maybe if I'm fighting for justice, I can be a good person. But again, she starts to see that concept kind of narrow and slim a little bit where Homura isn't as bad as she thought. Kyoko isn't as bad as she thought. And so to have any self-worth in that means she must be better than someone. She must be more just than them. So she has Mm -hmm. to keep cutting people out of this definition of justice to the point where she even does a 180 on Madoka, where in the early episode, she says, don't ever become a magical girl. And then in this episode, she says, you won't even give up your humanity out of pity for a friend Uh, to where like, because her her idea of justice and what is right has narrowed so much 
so that she can try and derive some kind of self-worth from it. And then I think at the end, she basically, you know, witnessing how kind of little of it there is in the world. Oh God, the train I, scene. Yeah. Jesus. And, and what's she interesting. She kills those guys, right? I feel I, like that's I, it's the never confirmed, but I always kind of think she does. I'll be upset if they're not dead. Her <laughs> soul gem is dark as fuck it's, after that yeah. scene. It's almost completely yeah, it's black. It looks good. And I love that it's it's black and white, that whole scene, which basically like mirrors the witch's world she was just in yeah. right before she herself is. And I think this is something that is seen more in the extended media. But typically when magical girls become witches, and this is like from Magia Record and a, and a few other things, hmm. it's typically like an immediate thing. Like the fight ends or in the middle of a fight, they've exhausted themselves and, and become a witch. But with Sayaka, that doesn't happen. She basically like sits down after witnessing that and seeing that even her own self has been excluded from this sense of justice she was using for self-worth. Hmm. And she basically sits down and decides to let herself die. Um, like she she waits for the end, whereas instead of it being immediate, like it typically is, which is like the most tragic part about that ending that she basically accepts it because she can no longer derive any self-worth from this world. <sighs> yeah. And that's, I think, like the reason I relate to that so much is it feels so way too accurate to this kind of like individual responsibility that's placed on us, especially anyone of a younger generation where we're basically all living up to this unachievable standard to make the world better, to say we're the ones who have to fix the climate, we're the ones who have to fix these social injustices that are so deep baked into it that, you know, we feel like horrible people, even for minor things, for saying like, oh my God, like I used a, I used some plastic spoons at work this week, so I was so tired, like a good person wouldn't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's these small, we're, we're all constantly questioning, you know, how can I be a good person? But none of us can fix the world alone. So it's it's this like internal turmoil that like that's the mm. part that I grew up to feel in Sayaka and why I love her so much. I'm I'm sorry I just rambled for like no, so no. long. Yeah, oh, that was perfect. great. I'm vibing. Well, I just have a question, and I guess Prof, if if this is a spoiler, then don't answer. I guess this will just be maybe something for speculation. But like we've seen civilians with like what was it called the witch's seal, like the stamp mm-hmm. that controlled their minds. And there's still this unanswered question, like, how did Kyoko's father find out that she was a magical girl if, like, all this shit's invisible? And, like, why did uh, Hitomi, like, because there was nothing telegraphed about her crush that she's had for so fucking long, (laughs) right? Structurally, it was telegraphed. Like, this is a tragic show, so we should have... What's the most tragic thing? It would either be Madoka getting a crush on him or Hitomi getting a crush on him. But see, that's what I'm getting at. Who's the engineer of the tragedy? Oh, yeah. It's got to be Kyubei, right? Yes. So, like, I don't... I don't think Hitomi had a crush on Kyosuke. Uh, okay. I think th- I think that was engineered, and like all of that comes up in the context of a shadow puppet theater. Mm-hmm. And she does very much seem like a shadow of herself in that scene. I just feel like there's sort of two stories going on, which is sort of like you know the Madoka Sayaka story, and then also just like Homura and Kyubei are kind of in their own world playing like <laughs> playing five dimensional chess. Ch- yeah, exactly. Like against <laughs> one another. And like the only thing that matters to them is some grand scheme with Mendoka that like mm-hmm. we don't know what's going on yet. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And it's um actually are you um are you planning on doing the movie Rebellion as well for this or are you stopping at the end of the series? We're considering it. We haven't talked about it completely as a group yet. I I want to do it at this point. Okay. I'm invested right, cool. personally. I don't know. Yeah, but I would say like cuz I think there's there's what the the first movie is just like retelling the anime but then like yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we like an abridged this. yeah and then rebellion yeah. itself is actually like mm-hmm. continuing the story okay and oh my <laughs> god <laughs> okay all right so so without spoiling anything your your opinion does it add to the story or does it feel like a cash grab Ooh, i think it adds a lot of depth in certain areas uh like i don't they definitely with only like an hour and a half couldn't add on to everything in the series and it definitely feels like there's a few plot points that weren't redacted but just kind of stay stale uh because they mm. just need to be there for the sake of it was a part of the series but i think with certain characters it makes them so much more depthful and impactful to the story to the mm. point where, like sayak has been mm-hmm. one of my favorite characters for maybe a, a decade now or like eight mm-hmm. years and it made me question if there was a character I liked more than her in the series. Mm, okay. As well as also, it takes like the imagery of the the entire series. And since it's only like an hour and 30 minutes, amps it up to 11. Like every scene has this amazing chaos imagery that feels like this completely liminal dream space that's just absolutely fantastic. Mm, okay. I haven't seen it. I'm excited. No, I have high dive so I can share my login with anybody that... Uh... If it's not on Animal. Yeah, listeners, contact us for Blitz's <laughs> login information. It's the same password I use for everything. So it'll <laughs> oh, just good. be our secret between okay. me and the listeners. Okay, so Homura, this is the first time we saw any. Wait, 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 wait. I want oh, your sorry, opinions, though. Do you think Cubay's doing that? Do you think Cubay is like witch sealing people to like make sure that all these magical girls experience horrible traumatic tragedy? Probably. I think that Cubay is just lying to us about witches, about their nature and their powers. Like, I don't have any evidence that the people who have witches kisses are actually getting them from witches. Well, the magical girls, their soul gems have to get corrupted for Cubay's agenda to work. So we we had the line from um, Homura that, right, that like wishes normally take more than a life, but Cubay is selling them for the price of a life, mm-hmm. which then means like, you know, either they're not really getting full wishes or maybe in addition to be like sacrificing themselves to magical girls, there are these like other kind of monkey ball, monkey paw costs to them maybe. Well, Cubay isn't just taking a life. Those girls suffer like intimately. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I guess I was saying, yeah, like maybe yeah. that is a sign that there is more more of a cost than just becoming a magical girl. Well, also, Cubay is exporting or alienating the, uh, 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 what do you call it? The exploitation. Because familiars or witches, they eat people, and then Cubay eats them. Cubay is giving these wishes (laughs) away for a song for the price of a life. But in return, he's eventually getting many more lives in return, right? Hmm. He's just having these magical girls become witches and then go hoover up all of these souls from humans they kill. And then he gets them eventually. You know, he's like a capitalist. He's putting his investment out there. He's letting other people exploit each other on his own behalf and then comes back to roost. I I guess that's something... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say we yeah, we we sort of know the magical girl side of the equation, but yeah, probably witches have to eat 
something, right? Or or did we talk about that in the early episodes that they're they're uh, feasting off of human souls and that's what they need to survive? Yeah, uh, Kyoko says that familiars eat people and that's how they develop their own grief seeds and become witches. So we assume yeah. witches are also feeding off people. We just saw Sayaka presumably kill these two dudes, yeah. which but, could be her feeding off them and becoming a witch. Sorry, but, so does that mean Sayaka is going to become a familiar? Like she's not a witch yet? Because if she immediately becomes a witch, then the, yeah, exactly. Then the familiar thing doesn't seem to completely line up. So maybe that's not true. Maybe Cubase lied to them and Cubase told them, no, 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 let the familiars go because they become witches. Like, how does a familiar develop a grief seed? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, there's another big question we haven't touched on yet. How the fuck is Homura from a different timeline? <laughs> Yo, uh, that's fucking crazy. Well, yeah, we learned that her power is not. I I thought it was blinking. I thought it was short range teleportation, but it turns out it's not. It's time manipulation. So she's instead like blinking forwards and backwards through time to get where she needs to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and apparently that's what she's done. She's probably from the future in a version of this story that went very wrong. <gasps> and now she has come back to put things right because well, she yeah. fell in love with Madoka in the other timeline or oh, had great admiration for her. And now she's come back to make sure the same thing doesn't happen again. And that's why her HQ is like a clock Ooh. with like the big pendulum. Whoa, that's, fucking who. Weird. that's really cool. All right. So like there's the obvious like themes about like patriarchy. I feel like there's... um. The thing you were saying, Alex, about Cubay's other game, like with the familiars and consuming people and like the capitalism symbolism. I've heard this before, but the three of you are like probably smarter than me about this. Like what's what's the connection between capitalism and patriarchy? I mean, they work together really well because patriarchy says that one group of people has a natural right to be yeah. at the head of an authority structure. It like further consolidates mm -hmm. power. And capitalism thrives on any authority structure. And what does Cube symbolize in that? He would be an actual capitalist. Yeah. Someone who's putting money out there and getting returns from not working himself. And getting exploitative larger returns. Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Cube doesn't fight nope. anyone. Jesus, That's, I, I have a listing because I was as I was going through the series again to prepare for this, I was taking notes for like any topics I wanted to address. And one of them is just called Cube the Capitalist. <laughs> yeah, this list of like picks vulnerable targets, doesn't lie, but doesn't tell the full truth like a bad job listing. Oh. Turns them against their fellow workers, puts them in a position to get hurt. Lifetime of toil for a single wish like the American dream, reducing them to production alone. <laughs> oh my God. Cube is a capitalist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like sometimes you have that theme of like, uh, you can kill me, but then just like another one will come and like take my yeah. place. But like with Cube, it's like it happens so fast. <laughs> it's just like yeah. it's one just minute later, just identical Cube who eats himself. Which which didn't the body look like the stuffing of like a teddy bear or something like yes. that? Like it was like this, it was lumpy. Like, yeah. Oh, like the Cube is only a doll, which like that works with capitalist theory, too, because like the reason why a lot of people are like 
people at higher rungs are also trapped is because it's an algorithm that's running, right? And you just happen to be an mm. envoy, a doll of this algorithm. And so if you become, it, let's say you decide to get rid of all of your wealth, well, someone else is just going to take just, your place. Yeah. You know, the Hydra is ever growing. Like the Hydra in episode seven. Oh, that was awesome. Where we had the Hydra imagery at the end of the last one. And then we had the Cube imagery at the end of this one. Oh, the, God. The structure, the parallels of this are very good. It's a tight series. Yeah, it's I, it's like the the character, how, how they all tie together. It's like some of the tightest, like to discuss one of them, you have to discuss almost all of them. <laughs> Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm very really interested for our our last four episodes or our last two episodes of the podcast because I don't know it's just going to have a really cool effect of having an eagle eye view of the whole series and mm -hmm. that's probably another good reason to do the third movie just so oh. that we have another chance to discuss all of these things without having to worry about spoilers. Okay, it's also, so oh, sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just say uh, so it's it's already like very dark. Yeah. It, it gets even worse. <laughs> oh, God. There's like, there's a, a, I don't remember the exact quote, but I remember like the, whenever they were producing the series, they specifically wanted to get Urubushi in because mm -hmm. they knew, they knew he produced dark series, like really messed yeah. up series to the point where his nickname's Uru Butcher. And my favorite, <laughs> I don't remember the quote exactly, but they say at the end, like, they're, it's talking about like the production of the series and they just say, yeah, he, he made it even darker than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just, I was, kind of doing in my head like oh where's this series going and i was thinking back to that very first scene which you know mm. like often things loop back at the end and that was Hamura right about to get killed by a witch and kubei being there with madoka and madoka has to decide and i'm like if Hamura's whole thing is like stopping madoka from making a wish to like save someone else and then madoka makes the wish to save Hamura. Mm. that is uh i don't know yeah that's messy i guess you two can't say things but ben can uh do you think kyube <laughs> is lying to madoka about how power like well, she probably can become I, super powerful but he said you can become an omnipotent god well and and we were speculating like in the last episode we're like oh he we've only heard him say that to madoka so we're like maybe he says that to like all the magical girls that's like part mm -hmm. of his thing but then this episode sayaka said that too like she knew this thing like about how, told her yeah yeah mm. we did have an episode early where homura was talking about I think she was talking to Mommy about Madoka mm. and her potential. Yeah, because Homura knows, but Mommy doesn't. This is Mommy's oh. first line time through the timeline, and this is Homura's second time. So it makes Homura a completely unique character to all the other ma magical girls because she's from outside of this universe or timeline, or you could even say she's outside of this series. And she has all of this knowledge that they're just now learning. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting these like, pieces from all these different religious studies I did, like Homer could be like the John the Baptist or the Enkidu. Mm. In, in in kind of what sense or help help connect the dots? Um, like a harbinger, like like the person who like sort of is like a catalyst for like the thing to happen that is supposed to happen. I like that Enkidu and Gilgamesh specifically because like there's that brotherhood between the two of them and mm -hmm. this like I always felt like tension between them, maybe even like a sexual tension between Enkidu and Gilgamesh. 
But ultimately, Enkidu has to die for Gilgamesh to complete his his cycle, his journey. And so maybe that spells bad things for Homura. Oh no, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> oh, I remember in such vivid detail. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, Ronald Reagan? I cannot recall. I can't. <laughs> It is funny that Gilgamesh came to mind because of like fate. Whenever I hear Enkidu, I just think of Viral's mech from Gurren Lagann, which goes from yeah. Enki to Enkidu to Enkidudu, which is the most <laughs> peak Gynax humor. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of that imagery came up in uh, Darling and the Franks. We had a lot of uh, Sumerian stuff there. Oh, the oldest story. Darling in the Franks is the oldest story. <laughs> oh, yeah. We keep telling it. Um, are we at the point of asking Prof? Our... Yeah, it sounds good. We can. Yeah. Does anybody have any other thoughts about this episode or the journey thus far before we go into our outro stuff? Oh, there's um. Th- this is one I, I I put in there just because it's so ironic. What is Sayaka? I forget what the. I think she's talking to um. To Kube, she says, nobody asked you to do that about putting their souls into the soul gems mm, to make them better yeah. fighters. But then she herself is becoming this savior figure that like Monica didn't ask her to become someone who would save her. She didn't ask her to do this. Saika did it of her own volition. And it's this kind of ironic note that shows a bit, a bit of the blinders she has on of this justice that she can recognize someone else doing it, but doesn't see herself doing it. That's great. Because like that's her problem is honesty with herself, right? She can't yeah. admit to herself that she wants Kyosuke to like her in exchange for the the wish, right? Mm-hmm. I think her problem is that like, I guess we treat like good and bad as these like abstract concepts. And like it, as soon as you try to apply something that's that perfect to the it's, real world, yeah. it just doesn't work because the real world doesn't work like that. Like who's a good person and who's a bad person? Well... And we even we see that with Kyoko and Homura too. They start off as completely unsympathetic characters. And then slowly as the series goes on, we're seeing like now it's like, oh crap, like Kyoko is immediately has this sadly kind of uh, very relatable and, and understandable story that immediately humanizes her. Mm-hmm. Where it goes, oh, good and evil aren't black and white, as Sayaka's whole world is literally becoming black and white. Yeah. Amazing. Just one last that made me think of something like okay. just thinking about expressions of grief and loss. And I was thinking about like the different personalities and coping styles of all the different magical girls we've seen in like in response to their trauma and tragedy. It's really like the full spectrum. Yeah, good use of the ensemble cast. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fuck. You're like mommy who's just putting up a front, Kyoko who's, you know. Yeah. If I had to guess, I would say like Sayaka is like depression, mommy's denial, uh, Kyoko is anger. Sort of like the like stages of grief. Yeah. Mm. Homer would be like bargaining oh. if this time thing really is the situation. Mm. Interesting. Just come back in time to say like, not Maduka. I'll do it instead. She has her Thanos moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Uh, Blixa, this has been much largely your series. So do you want to ask uh, uh, Prof the questions? Sure. Uh, Prof, if someone enjoys... Madoka, magical girl. What's something else you could recommend? Despite my definitely not bias at all, psychopaths, <laughs> yeah. being by the same writer, it does kind of deal with a different look at the same concepts. Where like that's a series that very much is 
directly asking you know like what is is right and wrong uh the whole core of the series is an ethical question so it kind mm. of ties in with like the everything I, I was so heavy on with sayaka is this you know like what makes a good person what doesn't and as well as like those similarly kind of dark and ironically tragic moments play out a lot there it also has just some great villain monologues which i'm all about but like that is it's mostly just because it's by the same creator so it'll have same vibes so fate zero is, is along the same lines but it's kind of hard to recommend something that's similar to it um, because it kind of, at least to me, stands out as a very unique series. Um, like I'm, I'm going through my list right now, seeing if there's anything. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of think just the st- other stuff by Urabushi is the, the best bet for the similar vibes, even though the premises are quite different. Or I guess uh, Wonder Egg Priority almost would be an interesting one dealing with like a darker magical girl side. Okay. Could you tell us a little bit about that? It also is quite dark and deals with like suicide and self-harm as topics. It's basically that they're all girls who have lost someone. And to get back the person they have lost, they basically go to this mystical world and start um, hatching wonder eggs, which is uh, girls who committed suicide. And they basically save their souls through like fighting for them through each episode. They basically work through the issues of one of the girls save their soul and then through that if they do it enough uh get to have their friend come back to life um so each episode they're kind of working through the issues which cause someone else harm and then that devolves into them as well working through their own issues as these four girls with very Mm. different takes come together Mm. um it's also one of the i think only two anime i've seen which directly has a trans character oh um, really yeah because there's uh zombie land saga which has uh one character i won't say because i guess it is kind of a spoiler and wonder egg priority where it's unfortunately only a side character and the character who is related to them has kind of like a more reduced kind of trans allegory and that there's someone who is perceived as the different gender but isn't outright stated to be transgender mm. um but it does actually directly address it in anime which is very rare Cool. Uh, I don't know if this will spoil anything. It was like, is that character used as like a joke or are they taken seriously? They aren't used as a joke. They are included in a scene that is unsavory, that deals mm-hmm. with some of the things you might expect, but it is not in a way that feels like it is making light of it or using it as a prop. Um, I can't okay. speak fully to that. I can speak somewhat to it, um, so but I won't pass the full judgment, but I don't believe it's like gratuitous in any way. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you. Of course. Uh, and then the big question is, if someone wants to hear <laughs> more from you. <laughs> if you want uh, something like, I think probably eight more Modica Magica discussions, um, <laughs> okay. youtube.com slash Professor Viral. Yeah, I, I do kind of just philosophical coverage of anime or, or history from them. Basically, just the goal of it being like stories are basically taking our world, pushing it to the extremes to dry out the concepts we can learn from them and diving into those. And essentially, it's my quest to uncover myself and if I'm like who I am and who I want to be and putting that out on the internet and hoping that it helps other people have that kind of introspection as well, mostly through anime. Yeah. And, and for yeah. the listeners, oh, can right. you spell that professor V I it, uh, it's pr- viral. It's like uh, V I R A L. 
Okay. It's cool. it's Viral because it's named after the character uh, Viral from Gurren Lagann. Mm. Gotcha. Very cute. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Well, you've been a wonderful guest. I've really enjoyed this discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was great. It. It, like, gave me yeah. some new perspectives on a series that I've talked about a lot. So I really appreciate that yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for spending but, the time with us. Yeah. Of yeah course. It's, all right. I'll kick us off. Thanks again. Pen. Pen. Pals. Incubator. I didn't connect okay. the Cube incubator dots until you pointed that out, Alex. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, what, a, what a freaking... <laughs> oh, my God. Great pun. 